Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, and Brian Haydad. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, then Mississippi Land Bank can help. Maybe you've seen those pictures that people are putting online of having some success early in turkey season, and you wish you had your own place to go, you're tired of either having to try to find some public land to hunt on or, you know, beg, borrow your way onto uh, to somebody else's property, and you've decided it's time to get your own place. Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land for over 100 years. They've got special financing products that are available, and it's not just land. It's automobile loans, it's home loans, it's uh, production loans. If you are a farmer, buying property, buying equipment, whatever it is that you need. If you're in North Mississippi and you've got land financing needs, Mississippi Land Bank can help. Again, online at mslandbank.com. What a busy Monday we have got this afternoon. We're going to recap a full weekend of baseball. Mississippi State going to Gainesville and taking two from the Florida Gators. An impressive weekend on the diamond from Mississippi State. Ole Miss at home against Alabama. One game one in a pitcher's duel. Game two was a disaster and then played really well yesterday and pitched it well yesterday to win the series at home against Alabama. Southern Miss goes to Ruston and gets a sweep of Louisiana Tech. Good weekend for the Golden Eagles. A good week, really, for the Golden Eagles uh, all the way around. And then there is basketball. NCAA tournament field was revealed at 5 o'clock last night. For the first time since 2002, Mississippi State and Ole Miss are both in the field of 68. Mississippi State is a number 5 seed. They will meet Liberty in the first round of the tournament on Friday night. Ole Miss is a number 8 seed. They will meet Oklahoma out of the Big 12 on Friday morning. I think an 11.40 Central Time tip-off for that ball game. We'll take a look at the uh, the overall bracket, the one seeds. Did anybody get left out? Is anybody snubbed? SEC tournament finished up. Auburn got the win. Uh, first SEC tournament title for them since 1985. And some concerning news for Montez Sweat, former Mississippi State player who has uh, a medical condition that was previously unknown, or at least previously had not been revealed and what effect that's going to have on him. So a ton to get to this afternoon for you. Players' Championship, I'm sorry, the Players, was pretty good this weekend on the golf circuit, if you had time to work uh, any of that in. Borky, what's up? You know, I was thinking when you were doing the read at the top that I've never been turkey hunting before. 
I've done duck hunting, had a blast. Yep. I'm not a big fan of waking up at 3 a.m. to sit out in 20-degree weather, but it was still a good time. I've been deer hunting. I've been wild hog hunting, even though we didn't come close to shooting one. And I've done the thing where you run out in the Delta and chase snow geese, and when they land, you you know you knock on the farmer's front door and say, hey, can we go shoot these off your property? They say yes. I've done all that. <laughs> I have never once been turkey hunting, and that's something that I've got to do. You know, I've only been once. I went last year, went on youth weekend, took Obi, and uh, took David DeLucci. Or, or maybe I should say David DeLucci took us because he is a big-time turkey hunter, absolutely loves it. I think he went all three days this weekend uh, while he was in Oxford. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and it's a different type thing. I, I'm kind of like you. I don't love the whole let's get out of bed at 4 a.m. so that we can leave the house at 4.15 and be in the woods at 5 before the sun comes up. That's generally speaking not my thing. But once you're up and, and going and you hear a turkey, whoo, you want to talk about chill bumps, that's a pretty neat deal. So, should give it a try sometime. Got to find somebody that will take me. Really, is is the problem. None of my buddies around here turkey hunt either. Okay. Well, maybe we can figure that out for you uh, one day. You can, for now, live vicariously through pictures on Facebook because there are a bunch of folks that are harvesting turkeys right now. Uh, Rippy, good weekend. Yeah, I've never been turkey hunting either. By the way, really? Are no. you a hunter? No. Occasionally, right? Every now and again, do I strike you as a, like a hunter? Like, is that no? But I thought you told me that like there was a hunting did, camp in your family. No, yeah, I did. I did more when I was a kid. Like, I wasn't asking like facetiously. I was just honestly wondering. Yeah. Uh, no, no, you don't on the surface strike me as a hunter. But there are things that I've learned about you that I wouldn't have picked out on the surface. Also, fair enough. I'm just, open to go turkey hunting. Yeah, just that that whole get up way super early thing. I will tell you this, what I have learned. Turkey hunters, that's a passionate lot of people. I mean, if if you're a for real turkey hunter, then you are serious about turkey hunting. Opening weekend, by the way, was this, uh, this past weekend. We are glad to have you along. Uh, what's the best thing that happened in sports this weekend, Borky, in your mind? Ooh, me being right about Auburn winning the SEC championship? <laughs> um no, seriously, Zion Williamson. I'll take is... narcissism for three hundred, Alex. <laughs> uh, no, Zion Williamson is incredible. I, I think, generally speaking, the the product in college basketball outside of the NCAA tournament is not very good. It's just not. The NBA is a better basketball product, but Zion Williamson is must watch television. And outside of the tournament, you haven't gotten that. You, you don't really get that. You like it more than me. But from a general sports fan who just kind of likes everything but doesn't really care. You have to watch Zion Williamson play basketball. And him returning to Duke and having as much fun. His fun is contagious when you watch him. He's having a blast playing basketball, which makes it even better. Him being on the court is must-watch television, and I'm glued to it every time he's on. And that's coming from somebody who is not glued to college basketball. Very non-typical Duke player, too, right? Like, he's kind of like, not kind of likable, he's very likable. He is likable. Um... He, uh, I was watching one of the post-game interviews, and he uses lots of war references. <laughs> yeah, you know, going to war with my brothers, shooters gonna shoot. Uh, you know, there, there's uh, 
I think he said killer's going to kill also. Um, whatever. He kind of plays like it. A little bit of anger there. He, he does, but it's like anger with a smile on your face, which maybe to the your point just a second ago is what it is that makes him so magnetic. He seems to have a really magnetic personality. Yeah, and to Borky's point, like the, it kind of... Does it? I mean, it's kind of weird to think three weeks ago you had people screaming at each other about whether he should play again or not, and then you watch that, and it doesn't really seem like much of a debate. No, and and he was he brought that up in the post game. I think it was Allison Williams that was interviewing him, and and I guess it was Saturday night after Duke won the title, um, and and he didn't have super long answers, but he, I don't think she specifically asked him about the decision to come back and play. He kind of brought that up on his own and basically said, for the people that thought that it was ever a possibility that I was going to not come back and try and finish this, well, you're you're kind of Looney Tunes. I'm paraphrasing. Those aren't his words. But that was the gist of what he said. Well, he's in college one time. This is probably the only time in his life he'll probably get to play high-level basketball with his friends, right? I mean, barring an exception or two um, in the NBA, but like... Yeah, I mean, I never saw. I mean, he seemed to have too much fun to, to skip out. I never got the sense that he was not going to come back. And, and it also appears that not only are those guys at Duke his teammates, but to your point, they are his friends. Like he and R.J. Barrett really like each other, and Cam Reddish and Trey Jones and the whole lot of them. And goodness gracious, it is an impressive group. With Zion Williamson, they are the odds on favorite to win the NCAA tournament. Biggest odds to win since I think the 2014 15 season. Uh, for the number one overall seed, Duke will play either North Carolina Central or North Dakota State in their opening round game. Mississippi State's going to go to San Jose, California for their opening round game against Liberty. If they win, they will meet the winner of Virginia Tech and St. Louis. And Virginia Tech, who has been without its best player for the last oh, month or six weeks, has gotten him back for the, uh, for the NCAA tournament. I saw St. Louis play earlier this year against Houston. Uh, Travis Ford is the coach on that team. A good team, uh, but uh, against a good ACC team, I don't see St. Louis winning that game. Uh, don't see Mississippi State losing in the opener. So I think a pretty pretty interesting second-round matchup with Mississippi State and Virginia Tech, if that's what you get, and then that would be on Sunday. Because they play on Friday, and then you would turn around and play again on uh, on Sunday. Ole Miss's first round matchup is against Oklahoma. Oklahoma 19 and 13 overall. They went 7 and 11 in Big 12 play. At one point, they were a disaster. Got some nice pieces on there. Christian James is the best player for Oklahoma. Uh, they've got a freshman in Eric Bieniemy that's really good. Uh, a kid named Christian Doolittle that's a pretty good player. Brady Manick, a good shooter from the outside. And then Aaron Kalixty is a, uh, a graduate transfer on that team. Played at Maine and has come in. And you know, just a good, solid veteran player. Um, I don't think it's a matchup that Ole Miss should be scared of by any stretch of the imagination, but it is a matchup where they better show up and they better play. They better play well if they want to win and have a chance to meet Virginia in the second round. Barring, of course, a Gardner-Webb upset. Don't really see that happening two years in a row. Just getting started with you at Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi. What is going on here? Your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. It's about time. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
walking fast, faces passing and homebound. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Ceasefire, customer inspired. Please don't text while you drive, but uh, we'd love to hear from you this afternoon. I'm curious, any thoughts if you're a, uh, if you're a Mississippi State fan? Are you going to San Jose, California? Not an easy trip. Been a long time since the Bulldogs have been in the NCAA tournament. If you're an Ole Miss fan, are you going to Columbia, South Carolina? Certainly an easier trip than going all the way across the country to San Jose. But it's not like you jump in the car, drive three hours, and you're there either. I think, you know, from North Mississippi, you're looking at somewhere between seven and eight hours to make that drive. And the plane tickets are not cheap. I mean, they're not like debilitating, but they're not cheap, especially on short notice. So if you are a fan of Ole Miss or Mississippi State, are you planning on making the trip? Let us know. Again, on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395 or at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. I guess maybe one complicating factor if you're a Mississippi State fan is if you go to San Jose, then you're not going to be in Starkville where Mississippi State's women's team is going to be hosting. And if we are to believe Twitter... They're going to be hosting as a number one seed. Apparently there was a leak. And on the ESPNU Bracketology show, uh, while they were discussing the men's bracket, they started posting the matchups for the women's field of 68, which or 64, which uh, doesn't actually happen until tonight. The announcement show does. Oops. So yeah. what do you do if you're one of the teams? Do you pretend like you're excited? Or, or when they show put the camera on you, do you just act as if you already knew? Well, I mean, even if you already know, there's the question of, okay, was that real? Or was that exact? You know, is that really where we're going? So, yeah, I mean, you may get some fake reactions. This happened with the men a couple years ago, right? Some intern accidentally leaked the bracket early. Do you well, all remember that? That, and then they, they were taking so long that people just started digging and found answers. It was two years ago. They didn't release the final team until two hours into the selection show. And so reporters started making connections and calling people, and so the entire bracket ended up getting out one way or another that way as well. Yeah. Interesting stuff. So let's take a little bit of a look at the bracket. Uh, we'll talk some NCAA tournament stuff. We will uh, We'll get the bracket challenge up. Is that up yet, Borky? We've done that yet or no? Uh, it is not yet. up yet, but it will be up very soon uh, by the end of the show today. And we're also giving something away. And I'll tell you what that is when the, the bracket challenge is made. Free stuff. Wait, you're not going to tell me what it is yet? Not going to tell you what it is yet because there might be more than just just it. So um, once I am given the final word on exactly what we're giving away in addition to this, um, I'll let you know. Beautiful. So we're going to have free stuff for you. We'll get the bracket up for you. It'll be available on Twitter. We'll also put the link on the uh, the website, supertalk.fm, so you can go and fill out your bracket and enter into our bracket challenge. Usually also, when you do that, 50, couple hundred of you uh, have entered over the last few years, so see if we can grow that number a little bit and uh, have some fun with it. Yeah, and when you do that, um, give us a way to contact you because the winner last year, uh, had a username that didn't identify themselves in their profile on ESPN, didn't have any identifier, and we tweeted out, hey, if this this is you, let us know. Nobody responded, so we gave uh, last year's prize to the second-place winner. 
There you go. The four number one seeds, Duke, Virginia, North Carolina, and Gonzaga. So three teams from the ACC get number one seeds, and Gonzaga holds on to that fourth number one out west. Uh, Because Auburn beats Tennessee in the SEC championship game, Tennessee obviously was not going to be the one seed because Tennessee beat Kentucky. Kentucky probably lost its spot as a one seed as well. So you get three from the ACC and then one uh, from out west in Gonzaga. Um, how much have you studied? You guys studied the bracket so far. Colin and I on the podcast last night ranked like our top five first round matchups that we're most looking forward to. So a decent bit. Okay, give those to me. First round matchups that you think are going to be the most fun to watch. Uh, Marquette, Murray State. Yes. John Morant, Marcus Howard. Yes, sir. Um, Nevada, Florida. I found to be interesting because Nevada. Nevada's not what Nevada. We go in there today? Yeah. Okay. Um, Nevada. Florida. There you go. Um, Muscleman's team not really playing that well. Florida kind of started playing well later in the year. I think that's interesting. Um, I think New Mexico State-Auburn will be an interesting game. I think Auburn wins, but um, New Mexico State's playing pretty well. And then I think another one I had was Houston-Georgia State. Houston and Georgia State. So you're not buying Houston as a 3C? No, I think Houston's really good. But anytime you catch someone that runs like a quirky, like Ron Hunter runs that quirky 131. Um, Simon's pretty good player, like somebody that could carry them through. I think Houston ends up making the Sweet 16, but that game could, could get weird. And then, honestly, I don't remember the last two. Uh, by the way, you're wrong. Yeah. Iowa State's going to beat Houston in the uh, second round. Really? Yep. See, I don't know what Iowa State team's showing up, though. Well, that's a good point. That's a good point. There's a couple of different versions of them. The one that shot 80% in Oxford? I would believe that. That that team would be Houston. No, that's a good point that you make, because Houston will absolutely get after you defensively. Um, They're not a great shooting team. They're a good shooting team. They're not a great shooting team. Well, now you've got me questioning a little bit which Iowa State team would show up. I, I I lean in the direction of Iowa State. That actually could be a fun matchup in the first round, Iowa State-Ohio State. Um, The 8-9 games. Let's look at the four 8-9 games because those are usually four pretty evenly matched teams. In the East bracket, VCU and UCF. With UCF, you've got Taco Fall, the guy that's 7-3. Any, aren't they in Columbia? They are in Columbia. Gonna have to make that picture happen, the side by side. That's a good point. You should definitely do that. I'm gonna work my hardest. Uh, so you got VCU, UCF, Ole Miss, Oklahoma, Utah State, and Washington. That's an interesting game there. Utah State, pretty good team. Washington, probably the best team in the Pac 12. They've got a guy who, if he doesn't lead the country in steals, he leads the Pac 12 in steals, and Maurice Thibel, good player. Noah Dickerson, good player. He flops a lot. Remember I told you that. If you watch that game and you haven't watched Washington all year, you're going to see him flop and complain about officials. If he would stop flopping and just play, he's a dominant interior player. And then the other 8-9 game, Syracuse-Baylor. That game is going to be kind of gross, I feel like. You think Syracuse-Baylor is going to be gross? Yes. Why? Just Because neither is very good? Well, no, not necessarily, but no... Like neither scores it particularly well. Like, doesn't that feel like a fifty-five, fifty-five game with a couple, like a minute and a half left? So, is that great in terms of NCAA tournament? 
Uh, I mean, it might because really in the first round games, you're kind of locked in on one game at a time. But all you're looking for is games that are tight at the end. So you're not going to sit there and watch 40 minutes of Syracuse and Baylor. But if it's tied at 55 with 90 seconds to play, you're immediately changing to see potentially a fantastic finish. That one stuck out in Wisconsin. Oregon stuck out as one that could be very peak college basketball. Mm. That could... Yeah. Oregon playing better. Not a whole lot of firepower offensively on both sides, though. Yeah. Borky, is there a game that jumps out at you in the first round that you can't wait to see? The Scandal Bowl. Well, I don't know if you can call it a bowl, but uh, LSU and Yale. I mean, two scandals that fit both schools absolutely perfectly. Because Yale's is a bunch of rich people trying to get their dumb kids into a really good school and bribing coaches. And LSU's is, um, I'll give you the NBA League minimum. Please come play basketball for me. Which one of those... Scandals, do you think, is more um, positioned to win an NCAA tournament game? <laughs> LSU, uh, obviously, but uh, I just I love how perfectly fitting both scandals are to those schools. And Yale has a—I mean, there are people that say that Yale has a, an NBA big and a legit shot at actually winning this game. I don't know how to say his first name, but it's Oni, right? Yeah, Mai yes. Mai Oni. I don't know. I said it wrong. I bet. He's not a big, uh, by the way. He's a guard. I, I misspoke there, but uh, right, a legit so, NBA talent. So, so you've got eight regional sites: Columbia, Missouri. Uh, sorry, Columbia, South Carolina, San Jose, California, Jacksonville, Florida, Des Moines, Iowa, Salt Lake City, Hartford, Tulsa, and Des Moines. Uh, I'm sorry, I said Des Moines twice. Uh, Columbus, Ohio, is the other. The eight teams that will be in San Jose: Mississippi State. Liberty, Virginia Tech, and St. Louis. Mississippi State, the 5 and the 12. Virginia Tech, St. Louis, the 4 and the 13. Wisconsin is the 5 against Oregon, the 12. And Kansas State, the 4 against UC Irvine, the 13. The eight teams that will be in Columbia, good luck on tickets, by the way. Virginia and Gardner-Webb, Ole Miss and Oklahoma, Duke and whoever they play, VCU and UCF. So two number one seeds that are reasonably close to Columbia, South Carolina, plus an 8-9 game with Ole Miss and Oklahoma. It's probably what the tournament organizers were uh, hoping for when they were awarded a host site. We'll talk to Scott Berry, talk some Southern Miss baseball next. Monday afternoon with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey. Brian Haydad will join us in just a little bit. Right now on the Farm Bureau phone line, let's check in with our buddy Scott Berry, head baseball coach at Southern Miss. Coach, I missed you last week. I did that thing that you can't do, which is take a little bit of time off in the spring. Uh, but but nice to be back with you. When we talked two weeks ago, I said, hey, maybe we'll look up and you guys will have won four in a row. Well, you did that, and you won seven of the last eight. Playing some pretty good baseball all of a sudden. What What, what do you think? Yeah, you know, certainly we're happy to uh, to start winning a lot more. And, you know, this, this weekend at La Tech, uh, the offense started kicking in, and that's uh, I feel like that's probably the missing component that uh, we've been looking for this year. Of course, you know, if you know baseball, pitching has a lot to do with, with how you hit, and we, we face some really good, good, uh, good arms there the first 10, 11 games of the year. So, uh, 
and we didn't score a whole lot. And honestly, you know, I'm not sure if it didn't kind of put us in a little funk uh, when it was all said and done, Richard. But you know, we've uh, we've started to uh, swing the bat a little bit better and be more aggressive. And uh, you know, I think uh, we're still leaving too many runners on, but we're we're also getting those runs in too that we've been leaving out there too many times. When you know that you've got good hitters and you go through one of those funks, like you called it just a second ago, and and pretty much every team does and every player does at some point, they go just because baseball's hard and it's hard to hit. Do you say anything in particular? Do you do you go back to focusing on fundamentals that maybe you've gotten away from, or is there just a deal where you say like, you just got to keep hitting? I mean, keep swinging and, and let it play out. Well, I think you know, kind of all of the above, but I think the most important thing that you really emphasize is go have fun because obviously when mm-hmm. when you're not winning, you're not successful, you're not hitting, you're you know you tend to kind of. Uh, roll into that uh, that mood of, of not having fun. And you've got to impress on these kids. This game is about having fun. Go out and have fun. And, and so that's what we try to really uh, try to instill in them, number one. And then, and then from there, just keep working hard and keep keep grinding. Don't don't give in. And, and that's, that's part of it, you know. I'm a true believer that, you know, people talk about the game as failure, but if you it's only failure after the opportunity. You know, the opportunity comes first. So that's what we have to focus on is the opportunity and not not what might happen uh, negatively or, or or anything else. So uh, just get ready for your next opportunity and, and capitalize on it. Let's walk through the, the three games from this weekend, if if you don't mind. You get the uh, the 12-9 to win in game one. Walker Powell doesn't go deep in the game. Only goes a couple of innings, gives up five runs. You, you use four pit, pitchers. Back end, though, pretty good with Aaron Ginn and then J.C. Keys at, at the end. What was your takeaway from the first game of the series? Yeah, well, no lead is safe over there is one thing that I can remember. You know, we jumped out three to nothing, and, of course, then all of a sudden they hit us with a five spot. We're down two runs, and then we return and, and come back and tie it up. So, the ball really jumped uh, at Louisiana Tech, and you know. But uh, you know, with that being said, our guys exchanged blows with them, and the offense kept clicking. And at the end of the day, you know, we uh, we came out a, a twelve to nine winner with it. And uh, but you know, you're right. We didn't we didn't get the start that we were hoping out of Walker. But Ginn comes in and gives us three solid innings. Uh, gives up a couple runs. Neither one of them were earned. And uh, and then Keys. You know, he, he pitches a, a really good two-inning four, strikes out three in the, in the ninth there, uh, up three runs, so had, had really good stuff. So that was, a, that was a great game of momentum to take us into Saturday's contest, which we knew that Louisiana Tech, one of the top teams in our conference, they, they weren't going to just lay down and let us have game two either. So, uh, But Friday, was a, that, was a, that was a good Good matchup, and uh, you know we were we were very fortunate to come out of there with that win. In the the Saturday game, you win five to one. A big day at the plate for Hunter Slater. He goes three for five, drives in a couple of runs, and what scored? Uh, I guess scored a run as well. And, and then Stevie Powers, only one earned run, gets into the fifth inning. Uh, what what was the takeaway from game two? Well, you know, Stevie was doing really well, and then there in the fourth, he kind of just kind of hits this hiccup where. All of a sudden, they're just not able to throw many strikes, and and uh, you know we give way to the bullpen. And Alex Nelms, I think he uh, he comes in and gets a big out for us, a big punch out, 
Um, uh, he, we walked the first hitter, but then he gets a strikeout on a 3-2 breaking ball that that really sent us with some momentum there uh, with, with Tweedy, who uh, pitched the longest stand of his career, going two and two-thirds and giving up no runs, a couple of strikeouts and only three hits. So very proud of that young man. He's been in our program three years and has just been kind of that, that nickel and dime guy for us, kind of a matchup left on left. But that particular day, he, he needed to cover some innings, and he did. And then, um, and then gave way to Hunter Stanley, who really commanded the zone and, and came in and attacked those hitters and preserved that win for us. And as a result, he gets his first win, and, uh, and then uh, Hunter Stanley he gets he gets a save uh, for it too as well. And then yesterday, kind of light up the scoreboard a little bit. Ten runs, twelve hits. Mason Strickland gets the win. Couple of home runs in the ball game. I guess kind of the way you want to close out the weekend. Yeah, no doubt. You know that was uh, uh, Tech. You know they're they're coach tough. I mean, Coach Burris played for me and Coach Palmer at Meridian. Uh, coached with us here at, at um, Southern Miss for several years. I think he was year nine years here as an assistant. Seven. Uh, I was here with him, so knowing him very well, very competitive person. And he wasn't going to let that team lay down on, on Sunday, and, and they didn't. And the uh, game stayed really close, and we were able to extend it there late in the, late in the game to, to take a 10-5 to 5 win and, uh, and, and, and sweep the series. So it was, a, it was a really good start to our conference uh, opening weekend for us to come out of there with three uh, really big road wins. So we had the game a few years ago. The the degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon, six degrees of Kevin Bacon, which was you know he was the actor, and it was like you could take any actor from almost any genre, and by linking people together, you could get to Kevin Bacon. I feel like every time we talk, you mention, well, this guy was with me at Meridian, or this guy was tied to Coach Palmer. It feels like, especially in this part of the United States, in the Southeast. There are a lot of tentacles that, that, whether it's your time at Meridian in the community college system or at Southern Miss or with Coach Palmer and the length of time that he was at Southern Miss, you guys have got a lot of connections and a lot of ties. Well, we do. You know, and, and, and look, Richard, I think you look at all the programs in the state, baseball programs, the the players that played there and learned uh, baseball there and and learned how to how to grow up and be young men. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of them out there now that are uh, heads of programs or assistants throughout Mississippi. Whether it's uh, Southern Miss's program, Delta State's program, Mississippi State, Ole Miss. I mean, but once again, I think you go back and we've talked many times about how strong baseball is in the state of Mississippi and how people love their baseball at all levels and and how good it is at all levels. And and I think that's kind of what we end up uh, putting out there is, is young men who want to stay in the game, they enjoy the game, they, they saw the value of the game in their personal life and, and, and how they matured and certainly want to give back to, uh, to younger kids uh, as, as a profession. So it's pretty neat. You're right. There is a lot of, lot of connections through, through Scott, the baseball world in our state. Scott Barry on the Farm Bureau phone line. Last thing, Coach, you got four games at home this week with ULM coming in on Tuesday night and then Old Dominion. Hopefully we've got some good weather. We've finally gotten that for, for a few days, and I know you'd like to kind of keep that rolling. What do we need to know about uh, about this week coming up? 
Well, you know, another tie, uh, the head coach at Monroe, uh, Mike Federico. <laughs> he's a player at Southern Miss. Uh, he was absolutely uh, pitching coach for me at Meridian. And then, of course, he was a pitching coach here for seven years prior to, to moving over to uh, to Monroe and, and taking the helm there. So we have him tomorrow. They'll certainly be competitive. They're coming off a tough weekend against Coastal Carolina, one of their top, if not the top team in the Sun Belt that they had this weekend. But, sure. uh, you know, that'll be our um, next challenge, obviously, tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. And then we catch Old Dominion uh, this, this weekend, who has been playing really well. But Charlotte took two out of three from them this weekend. Uh, two extra inning games that they lost, but uh, you know, Old Dominion was a team last year that was absolutely devastated by injuries, and all those guys are back and healthy this year. So I knew Finwood, Coach Finwood, uh, who uh, would have those guys ready to go, and certainly he will this weekend whenever they pull in here on Friday. Coach, always enjoy these conversations on Monday. Wish you the best this week, and uh, look forward to talking to you again next week. I appreciate it, Richard. Four o'clock hour with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, brought to you by Mississippi Land Bank, online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you're in North Mississippi and you've got land financing needs of any kind, whether it's buying a piece of property, getting an equipment loan, maybe you're refinancing an existing loan, maybe it's uh, just money to buy a new piece of land altogether. Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land for over 100 years. MSLandBank.com. That's where you can find branch locations and also the phone number to uh, give them a call and talk to them about what it is that you need where they know the lay of the land. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Scott Rippey, and Brian Haydad. It's 4 o'clock. It's Monday. That means it's time for Winners and Losers. All I do is We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. All right, I got a couple that are tied together. So I'll give those quickly and then we'll just kind of bounce around after that. So uh, let's start on golf. Winner Rory McElroy. And what are, apparently Rory is like the nicest guy in golf. In, in dealing with the media, because almost universally, media people that cover golf were talking about how excited they were to see Rory win, how great it was to see him win again, how you know this was the time coming, and he's the most gracious guy. So uh, ne- never mind all that. Rory hit some great golf shots down the stretch yesterday, made a birdie at 15 out of the sand, uh, makes a birdie on 16 on the par 5, uh, par 17, pars 18 coming in and wins the players and a great big fat paycheck. And he's been playing some really, really good golf uh, down the stretch. The loser, though, on the other side of it, uh, Rippy, this is yours and Borky's boy, John Rom, who wants to fight his caddy in the bunker. Caddy's saying, no, 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 you don't need to go for it here. You need to lay it out there flat. You have a 100-yard shot. Knock it up there, make a par, and let's move on. No, I don't think that's a guy. We might have a downhill lie. I'm going to hit it from here. So he hits it from there and hits it in the drink and ends up shooting four over yesterday. On the heels of shooting 64 on Saturday to get himself in position to win the golf tournament. Then after hitting it in the water, he told his caddy he would have hit the shot better if he hadn't have pulled him off of it. Oh, really? Really? Well, then uh, nice job, John Rom. 
Um, if you'd hit the shot your caddy had told you to hit, you might would have won the golf tournament. So there's winner or loser there. Also, winner, Auburn. Just impressive. They beat the brakes off of Tennessee. One by 20. Loser. Everybody that is grabbing hold of this narrative that, well, Tennessee felt like it played in the championship game of the SEC tournament on Saturday when they beat Kentucky. Um, guys, that, that doesn't fly. I get that it was emotionally exhausting. I get that it was a big-time atmosphere. Maybe there was a little bit of a letdown because you were playing Auburn instead of Kentucky. But that does nothing but disrespect Auburn, who won four games in four days in the tournament. And last I checked, that was only Tennessee's third game in three days. It's a lazy narrative. Auburn beat the brakes off of Tennessee yesterday, and they deserve all the credit for it. I don't want to hear anything about, well, Tennessee was tired. They were emotionally drained. That's fine if they were, but all that is is a big old fat, lazy excuse for why you got your butt kicked by 20 with a trophy on the line. So, if you're embracing that narrative, you're a loser. All right, I'm done, boys. I'll just get out of the way and let you guys go from here. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, winner for me, us. I-, I was sitting at my desk at home this morning trying to overcome whatever illness I obtained in New Orleans this weekend. And sitting down and, and scouting is not probably not the best term to use, but looking at an opponent in the NCAA tournament for Ole Miss and Mississippi State, teams we talk about every day, was really cool. Because since I took over this job, I started working here five years ago, um, we haven't been able to do that for both teams. So it was a really cool experience this morning. I can't wait for this week. I can't wait for Friday uh, while we'll be at the sports book at the Gold Moon Casino it's so much fun actually caring about the NCAA tournament with teams that you care about, that you cover. We are winners because we get to watch it. I had a lot of fun this morning sitting sitting in my underwear at my desk uh, just looking at Liberty in Oklahoma, and I can't wait to do it for the rest of the week. So hey, we you don't winners. have to turn this into a fashion segment. I just wanted to paint a picture. Isn't that the point of this? Is I was sitting in my underwear and with an nobody old T-shirt see on. That pic- and, and nobody wants to see that picture. Hack it up the store. Desk? Yeah, I've got a, a little home office slash studio. Oh, Rippy thought, you, you, Rippy thought like, you meant at the. You, uh, meant it, you went pantsless at Telesouth. Uh, oh, see, no, I wouldn't be sitting here right now if I showed up pantsless. If I showed up in a t shirt, I don't think I'd be sitting here right now, which is fine. I don't mind dressing up, but there's decorum around here. Hey, Dad, you got a winner? Yeah, the, uh, the NCAA selection committee. I feel like this is the the year that there is the least amount of hand-wringing and concern about who got left out that we've ever had. Uh, I know that NC State, uh, their athletic director released a statement, but when you play a really, really poor non-conference schedule, this is where you end up. And I just don't feel like there was one, you know, huge oversight by the committee. I feel like the, the field that got in was the field that deserved to be in. Don't you think – I'm not disagreeing with Haydad here, but don't you think part of that is because no one actually fully gets the net here and, like, like they were just kind of blindly following it? Because, like, I think that's got to contribute to some of it because do you still know, like, how efficient the net is? I don't. Yeah, but is there anybody that's complaining about the teams that got in? I mean, the teams got in that everybody thought was going to get in. Yeah. And these people that predicted are unbelievable. I mean, Joe Lenardi was 68 of 67, uh, 67 of 68. He probably had, what, like TCU instead of Belmont? It's exactly who it was. Yeah, he had he had TCU in. 
Yeah, and on that note, how about a loser for you? And we can do more winners, but did you see the statement from Debbie Yao, the athletic director at NC State? I did. Re- released a long statement about how uh, the selection committee was supposed to look at net, and net has all these things that factor into it, and our team's net was good enough. They were 33 in the net. But here's the thing about NC State. They played, I'm not kidding, the worst non-conference schedule in all of college basketball. 353rd ranked non-conference schedule adjusted on Ken Palm, and their athletic director is complaining about not making the tournament. You want to make the tournament? Play somebody with a pulse. And don't complain when you have the worst non-conference schedule in America and you don't get in. Well, that's what I said. Yeah, but... Don't you want your athletic director defending you? I want my I, mean, co- get- I want my coach and athletic director to schedule better. Okay, that's fine. But if you get left out and there are things that you can point to that you think make the case for you being in in comparison to some other teams that got in, then you're supposed to issue that statement. Yeah, and I'm sure it played well with fans. But, I mean, if it were me, I would sit there and think, you know what, Debbie, schedule better. Because that's why we got left out. Because we played the worst non-conference schedule in the entire country. And so if, if it's down to us and it's down to Belmont, for example, well, they're going to give the nod to Belmont because at least they played a better schedule than we did, believe it or not. Hmm. Rippy, you got a winner or a loser? I've got one that's kind of both. Okay. Cincinnati. They get seated as a seven seed, which seems like criminally high considering, like, the committee, I think, is essentially rendered conference tournaments useless. Like, they, it seems like that didn't affect anything, like, that they, that went into their process. But they get a seven, but they get to play in Columbus, Ohio, which is like an hour and a half away from their campus. So, like, kind of a weird dynamic there. Cause didn't you think Cincinnati's better than a seven seed? The year they had, they beat Houston on Sunday, won the league tournament yeah and that's that's a pretty good league the american conference is a pretty good league it is a good league there's five or six teams that are really i mean temple ucf houston but 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 the winner side of that also is right there in their own backyard right so like kind of a winner and a loser thing i think they probably want to be a lower seed not that that matters that much i I guess they would take a higher seed and playing close to home don't you think cincinnati beats iowa yeah iowa seems broken like, Iowa seems like a team that just... Is their coach back or no? Yeah, I'm pretty sure McCaffrey's suspension was only two games, but still, they're playing horribly. I got a loser for you. I went to an NBA game, and it's two of the worst teams in the league, New Orleans and, and Phoenix. I was going to ask why you went to New Orleans this weekend. Yeah, just to go see a ball game. I like to go at least once a year. But uh, the Pelicans had the ball on an inbound. Did you spend the night? Did not spend the night. Not, I, I okay. not feeling well at all. But... Um, have the ball on an inbounds, up three with five seconds to go in overtime. They try to call a timeout, but they don't have any. The ref doesn't see it. They get a five-second call. Phoenix goes down the court in five seconds and makes a three to tie the game. New Orleans again tried to call a timeout. Didn't have any. The ref saw it that time, assesses a technical. Phoenix makes a free throw. Ball game over in overtime. Whoops. It was embarrassing. The worst thing I've ever seen on a basketball floor. So while feeling poorly, you drove down and back in the same day to watch maybe the worst team in the NBA play basketball. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not very smart, am Pelicans fan of all time. Kind of a glutton for punishment. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio.
Dave from, uh, from ESPN and working with the NCAA to prepare for tonight's women's selection special, we received the bracket similar to years past. In the midst of our preparation, the bracket was mistakenly posted on ESPNU. We deeply regret the error and extend our apology to the NCAA and the women's basketball community. We will conduct a thorough review of our process to ensure it doesn't happen in the future. We will now broadcast the full bracket at 5 Eastern and the regularly scheduled show at 7 on ESPN. Uh, Chuck Carlton at the uh, Dallas Morning News, I saw him tweet, shorter version, oops. (laughs) That poor producer, that accidentally hit send on that graphic. I wonder if he's padding his resume today. Eh. Well, because you're getting the backlash and breaking news, and, and I've already seen it. The well, this is just another example of how you treat the women's game differently. And I'm sure there are other examples, but in this case, it was just a mistake, an honest mistake. And now it's being spun as ESPN doesn't care about the women's game. It's happened to the men before, literally yeah, last year. Years ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So what have we got? Hey, Dad, with regard, uh, Mississippi State is a one seed. They will be at home, and their first-round game is against who? Southern University. That's right, the Jaguars. And then if they win, it's South Dakota or Clemson? Is that right? South Dakota or South Dakota State? South Dakota State. Okay. No, wait, no, no, no. South Dakota. It's, it's, It's not the one that's the Jackrabbits. The other okay, one. gotcha. So, waiting on the official uh, word here that evidently state's bracket is going to go last. UConn, a two seed. That's surprising. So, does that mean what? The ones are Mississippi State and Mississippi Notre State, Dame? Notre Dame, Louisville, and Baylor. So, Baylor got the fourth number one. Okay. Hey, you no, guys no, know who the no, coach no, there Louisville at Baylor fourth is? Number one. <laughs> yeah, uh, Kramer Robinson's mom. <laughs> Well played. Well played. Uh, so when the uh, the official bracket is completely out, we'll uh, give you some updates on that as well. On the men's side of things, guys, which number one seed in your mind has the easiest road to the Final Four? Not to a national championship necessarily, but to the Final Four. By the way, as a reminder, the four number one seeds are Duke, where that's in the east, where Michigan State is the two, and the three is LSU. I'll give you the four also. That's Virginia Tech. In the west, Gonzaga is the one seed, with Michigan as the two. Texas Tech is the three, and Florida State as the four. In the south, Virginia is the one. Tennessee is the two. Purdue is the three, and Kansas State is the four. And in the Midwest, you've got North Carolina as the one seed, Kentucky as the two seed, Houston as the three seed, and Kansas as the four seed. John Calipari was right. Kentucky gets the most difficult road, even though they're a two seed. Isn't the Midwest bracket the one that's the most difficult? You would think so, because their second round matchup is no slouch and Walford and I mean, Kansas being a four is just terrifying, even though you may not have to see them until you get to the Elite Eight. North Carolina is... I mean, if Duke is the best team in the country, then North Carolina is a very, very, very close second with how they've played their 
three games together this year. North Carolina, who Kentucky has beaten this year. Tough road there. I I wanted to say Gonzaga. My heart says Gonzaga, but I saw this morning that in in quick turnaround games, so if Syracuse can beat Baylor, Jim Beheim's record in quick turnaround games in the NCAA tournament is one of the best ever because apparently that 2-3 zone with just one day to prepare is even more difficult, and his record on day on game two of a weekend in the tournament is as good, if not better, than ever, any coach to ever live. And so that makes Gonzaga's game two a lot more difficult, even though Syracuse has struggled this year because of Bayheim's record in quick turnaround games. I think I'd argue Gonzaga has the most difficult. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, you've got... Michigan is your two seed, Texas Tech is your three, and Florida State is the four, which, like, Florida State, everybody slept on all year, but that's a really good team with a lot of pieces back from an Elite Eight team. And then you have Marquette and Marcus Howard as your five, and a pretty good Buffalo team as your six. Like, I would want nothing to do with that side. Meanwhile, because, like, North Carolina has Houston, who's probably pretty good as the as the three. Kentucky, I, you wouldn't want to see as the two. But, like, that Kansas team is number four doesn't necessarily scare you. By the way, if LSU's entire athletics program had not gotten indicted last week, I'd be picking them to go to the Final Four. <laughs> yeah, see, that's, a, that's where Duke caught a really good break there, didn't they? Like, LSU two weeks ago, before all this happens, like, no one wanted to see them. And that's you talk about a team athletically that can match up for Duke with a night. Four day night, excuse me, LSU. I think LSU, regardless, is a Sweet 16 team. They'll beat Yale in the opener, and then they're going to have either Maryland or Belmont or Temple. Belmont Temple playing for the uh, 11 spot against Maryland. Um, it would be kind of funny if they gave James Comey or Robert Mueller courtside seats to that Yale LSU matchup. <laughs> that would be. <laughs> I think we should make that happen. I don't know how. I don't really have the pull. I thought you were going to say James Carville first, and then you went an entirely different direction. We could get him as in between the two. Talk oh, some conspiracy theories. Yeah, that's uh, that would be my guess. Hey, hey, Dad, how many state fans are going to make the trip to California? That's a tough wow. trip. Well, not only that, I mean, the women are going to be playing this weekend too, and that's in Starkville. So, and you've got baseball in Starkville as well. Uh, not many, if I had to guess. A couple hundred. Ish. Yeah, that would be doing well. Yeah. It is one of those things if you ever wanted to make like a West Coast vacation and go to the Bay Area, like that's as good an excuse as ever to do it. It's kind of short planning. That's also very true. It's like, I guess. hey, you know what? Let's take a trip to California. Oh, we've got two days to get ready for it. Go. It's when you gotta have Just... the uh the Telesouth corporate team behind you. They'll put that they'll put that trip together for you lickety split. There you go. There you go. Uh, we're going to have plenty of coverage for you from both Columbia and San Jose this week. Uh, hey, Dad will arrive late Wednesday night in uh, in San Jose. Rippy will arrive in Columbia on uh, on Thursday morning with both of those teams, uh, Ole Miss and Mississippi State, playing on Friday. You'll get the full coverage from the media availability on Thursday, and then we'll uh, we'll be getting you ready um, with the radio show on Thursday afternoon. And then the timing really. Just completely selfishly here, could not be better for for Friday. We're going to be at the the timeout lounge at the Golden Moon um, for the entirety of the show. The Ole Miss game will be over, 
and Mississippi State will not have begun yet, and so we'll be able to kind of look back at one and look ahead to another. That's going to be a lot of fun in addition to all the games that are going on uh, coming up on Friday. So that will uh, that'll be a heck of a lot of fun. Hey, real quick, it is now made official. Mississippi State is the one seed in the Portland Regional. Okay. So Mississippi State will be at home in Starkville for their first two games. Uh, first game is against Southern University. Uh, their second game will be against the winner of South Dakota and Clemson. And if they win those two games, then go west, young man. See, now, now you're talking. If you're retired and you've got uh, some expendable income, you, you can go west, catch Mississippi State men's basketball in the Bay Area on th- this weekend, hang out, go to wine country, whatever you want to do, and then next weekend, you can uh, scoot up to Portland for the uh, the women's regional. Are you saying that's what I should do? Uh, if you've got a lot of expendable income and you can cover your expenses out there for a week, feel free. Dang. You think your wife would sign off on you just be gone for gone for two weeks also? Is that that's sort of a yes and no kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know how it goes? Fair enough. You don't you don't have to answer that uh, that on the radio. All right. So the uh, the other teams in that bracket you got Miami, Florida Gulf Coast. Who are the others? Well, the, the the big one of note is that Oregon is the two seed. So if the chalk holds up, State will play Oregon in Portland, Oregon, uh, to her chance at the Final Four. Hmm. If you get a one seed, it's kind of hard to argue about who the two seed is, right? It is. It is. I mean, I mean I, is, I is Mississippi where... State the fourth one seed? See, I don't. I don't know. I, I would have thought Louisville would have been, because I, everybody was saying that UConn was in, but I guess not. So I don't know. I don't know how that how that was going to work. But that said, I sort of agree with you. I think if you're you're MSU right now, you're sort of. You're wishing that the FedEx Forum would open up for a weekend that you could have the South Regional there, because that's one thing State has not really had as a a, a, a regional that's nearby when they've been a one seed these last two years. Keith gave us a, an additional winner on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed. He says Ole Miss softball two wins over a top twenty-five ranked Oklahoma State team this past weekend. They've won seven in a row. And 13 of their last 14, and checked in at number 15 in the first RPI rankings of the year. So that's uh, Mike Smith's Ole Miss softball team. Got more coming up with you. It's Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. to the boys in the Vegas, uh, a few popular upsets that are getting some action in early betting leading up to the NCAA tournament. St. Mary's is a five-and-a-half-point underdog against Villanova. Yale as an eight-point underdog against LSU. Liberty as a seven-point underdog against Mississippi State. And Oregon as just a one-point dog against Wisconsin. Those are some of the popular early round upset predictions. Yeah, that Yale thing is more of hoping that LSU is just a distracted basketball team missing their coach, right? Because, like you said, from a matchup standpoint, that game shouldn't be close. 
Uh, no, I feel confident in saying that the uh, four pros on the LSU team are better than whatever Yale's got in the Ivy League. Yale does have a pro though, which is where you don't you don't see that very often. You're right. You're you're right about that. You think he's better than Nasri? I mean, I'm just going to admit, I haven't watched that guy play basketball one time. I have not caught a Yale game this year. Well, and he's a second-round pick in the mock draft I read this morning, so not even a an elite NBA prospect. He just is one. Let's dive into some baseball for uh, for a few minutes. Mississippi State goes to Gainesville this weekend. They get two out of three. We got a text, and somebody said, you know, you probably should have put Mississippi State in the winners category and winners and losers, and you're right. We should. It was just one of those weekends where there was uh, there was a lot going on, and that's only like a nine minute segment, so a little limited as to uh, to what we could get to. No question, it was a good weekend though for the Bulldogs. Had to hang on for dear life in Game One. Had kind of a commanding lead late. Cole Gordon was able to get himself out of a mess. Mississippi State wins Game One six to five. They win Saturday's first game in the doubleheader ten to five, and then. Lost the second game by a final of four to two. Hey, Dad, what'd you take away from baseball this weekend? The team is good. I mean, they are legitimately going to be a, a team that contends for a, a national seed. I wanted to see if Small and Ginn would hold up against SEC hitting, and they did. And uh, so, when I look at them this year, I, I just I don't see a lot of, of situations where both of those guys are going to lose their games. So even if State splits, and then you go to Sunday and find out what happens there, you know, not getting swept is such a key to winning the uh, the SEC championship. That's what State did the last time they did. They, they were only swept once, uh, and it's going to be very difficult to sweep Mississippi State with Small and Ginn. But that said, the hitting looked. Like it's coming around a little bit. Elijah McNamee was SEC Player of the Week. He's actually the leading hitter on this team. Of course, Jake Mangum is not far behind him. State showed some power this weekend. McNamee, uh, Allen, Mangum had a home run. So the, if the bats are going to start heating up a little bit and the, and the kind of pitching MSU is getting, they're going to be they're going to be tough to beat the rest of the way. Um, in hindsight, the two runs that Mississippi State scored in the top of the ninth inning on Friday night were massive. Yeah. You thought they were just insurance runs, and that's exactly what they ended up being. But, you know, they moved to 6-2, to two, and I'm thinking, okay, and I'm watching that on uh, on press row as the, the Tennessee game is getting started. And I'm just thinking, okay, well, Cole Gordon's coming in, and that's going to be that. And he he struggled, and that's two outings in a row for him. And if, if you have a question mark about Mississippi State, you know, that might be one to look at right now. Is You know, Cole Gordon was so strong the first uh, three weeks of the season. But his last outing against Maine and then this game here, he struggled. So, you know, State needs him to get right. They want him to be the closer. Uh, if he can, if he continues to struggle, I don't know if you move Colby White into that that role. I don't know if that's the case. I was I was pleased to see on Sunday – I'm sorry, not Sunday, but in game three, uh, Riley Self and Spencer Price both pitched us an inning of scoreless relief. That's big for Mississippi State. Those guys, had, especially Self, had been a little iffy so far this year. If, if those guys can get back to their, their form that they showed a couple of years ago, that's two more big-time arms in that MSU bullpen. Ethan Small got the win to move to 2-0 and on Friday, went six innings, gave up one earned run, struck out 11 and walked three. Tommy Mace took his first loss of the season um, for Florida in that ball game. When you go to game two, and again, they played a doubleheader on Saturday, um, Mississippi State wins that one 10 to 5. Winning pitcher in the game for the Bulldogs was JT Ginn. He's now 5 and 0. Oh, 6 and a third, 10 hits, 4 earned runs, 11 strikeouts. 
no walks. Now, I, I have not had a chance to watch him pitch yet, but I've had multiple people now say to me, uh, he's got a little edge to him on the mound, little uh, little showmanship on the mound as well, and that's one of those things that's going to rub teams the wrong way. It's a guy that you love having on your team, but other teams probably don't like it nearly as much. I agree. I agree. And But that, that being said, if you don't like it, you know, beat him. Nobody's done it yet. Uh, you know he's pitched really, really well. I mean, giving up four earned runs—that's the most he's given up all year. And then the other surprise of this season, the positive surprise, has been Jared Liebelt. This is a guy a year ago, Richard, that he was just put out there in games that were out of hand, one way or the other. He was a guy who it's it's eight nothing, states winning or states losing, and you just need to eat an inning or two, and he would get you through it because I mean he was not good last year. No other way to put it, he was not good. He is good now. He throws two and two-thirds innings, only gives up one run on one hit. He's just become another quality arm in that bullpen for Mississippi State and somebody that I feel like Chris Lamonis relies on. He was the first guy out of the bullpen on Friday night as well. Keegan James, three and two-thirds, gives up six hits. They they pull him early. A pretty rested bullpen, I guess, or some arms you feel like you can go to. Mississippi State ends up losing the third game of the series. Barlow, Self, and and Spencer Price, who you mentioned a second ago, all pitch uh, an inning or more and don't give up runs in the ball game. Is that kind of what it's going to be like for Mississippi State in Game Three of the series? It's going to be a, a game where they're probably going to have to score some runs. I think that's the case for almost everybody in the SEC on the Sunday game, the, the Game Three. You know, you, that's usually the game where. It's going to be a little higher scoring. If you want to win, you got to put five or six up on the board because how many people have a great dominant number three starter? Not not, not too many, I would imagine. You know, State's doing pretty good to have dominant guys at one and two. Uh, but Keegan James is still very good. And, you know, not, not his best outing, obviously, on uh, on on Saturday, but uh, he has that that inning where you know it gets a little out of hand. He, he has a balk. That balk sort of, I think, it just messed with his head a little bit, and he wasn't able to get out of the inning uh, successfully from that. But by and large, he can be a successful number three starter for, for Mississippi State. So Mississippi State wins two out of three on the road. And in the, uh, I haven't looked at all the polls. The D1 baseball poll has bumped them all the way to number two, which is kind of what Kendall Rogers told us on Friday. You ask him the question, hey, Dad, if Mississippi State were to go and win, how much would they jump in the poll? He said, well, if they win that series, they're probably number two or number three. They've got them at number two in the country. Behind only yeah, I don't UCLA. think the baseball writers poll is out yet. But D1 Baseball, Baseball America, Perfect Game, Collegiate Baseball all have state second. USA Today has them fourth. Okay. So consensus top five team at uh, at this point after a really good weekend on the road in Gainesville. Back home against an Auburn team that swept Tennessee this weekend coming up this, uh, this next weekend. Um, for Ole Miss this weekend, Rippy, uh, you know, Friday and Saturday could not have been – any more different. Uh, Will Etheridge was fantastic. Uh, Austin Miller was good out of the bullpen. And then um, Parker Gracie gets a five-out save in a one nothing win on Friday night. Yeah, they faced kind of a non-typical Friday night starter infinity from Alabama. Kid didn't really get above 87, but threw but like four pitches pretty well. Um, but I think the biggest takeaway for me with that was Will Etheridge you know, looked like part of a Friday night guy's secondary stuff was there and kind of held up against an SEC offense. I think, what, it's seven, eight strikeouts, one walk? Had nine. He was one nine. off his career high. Okay, so um, 
But yeah, so and, and he went he was extended deep in, deeper into a game for the first time this year and then the bullpen was pretty good, but as you mentioned, Saturday kind of an abject disaster. That was just a bad baseball game. It, it was game. a bad baseball game all the way around. Ultimately Alabama wins game two, eight to six. Um if I remember right, Alabama took the early lead two to nothing. They had the bases loaded with nobody out in the second inning, scored only two runs. They actually had the bases loaded three times in the game twice after that second inning. The other two times, they came up empty, scored nothing. Ole Miss went in front 5-2. to two. Alabama took a 6-5 to five lead. Ole Miss tied it at 6, and then in the eighth inning, Drew Williamson for Alabama goes the opposite way on the ground down the third baseline. They went at 8-6. to six. Pitching was just a disaster, really, throughout that ballgame for Ole Miss. And there will be a change next weekend. Zach Phillips is starting on the midweek this week, so I imagine it's Doug Nikhazy, Mike Bianco, and ready to announce you know who will be who will fill that slot um but yeah and then like it, the the pitching was not good and then Ole Miss left multiple runners on base in the fourth sixth seventh and eighth innings and then left one more on base in the ninth um yeah pitching was not good I mean they they only after that like foot five run second inning they collected three hits in the last six or seven innings of the game yeah um not great. Ole Miss comes back and wins game three. We'll talk a little bit more about that coming up in uh, in just a couple of minutes. Mike Bianco will join us today in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, we'll talk with him uh, about 5.40 for his weekly conversation. Uh, we'll also continue to look at some of the basketball stories, and the college football fix is just around the corner for you as well. It's Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Glad to have you along on this Monday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com where they know the lay of the land. At Mississippi Land Bank, they're serving the counties in North Mississippi and have been financing land for over 100 years, they understand a thing or two about what it takes, and that's why they handle real estate loans, timber loans, improvement loans, equipment loans, need to buy some livestock or deal with irrigation or build a home in the country. All of those things, Mississippi Land Bank can do it. You can find their branch locations in Senatobia, Clarksdale, Cleveland, Indianola, Corinth, Tupelo, New Albany, Starkville, Kosciuszko, and Louisville. Online at their website, mslandbank.com. You can also go there and click on the Contact tab and find the uh, office that is closest to you, the phone number for that. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Good to be with you. Richard Cross and the entire crew. We're going to talk some NCAA tournament in this 5 o'clock hour. We'll also talk some Ole Miss baseball with Mike Bianco about 35 minutes from right now. But first, let's get to the college football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. F-150's been the best-selling truck in America for four decades. You can test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer today. This is It's the college football fix because this guy most recently has been in college and is getting ready to transition to the NFL, but uh, potentially unfortunate news for Montez Sweat, the former Mississippi State defensive end 
who rose to the national spotlight with what he did at the Senior Bowl and at the uh, 2019 Scouting Combine. Medical news that may make some teams do really a deep-dive analysis of his health. More Multiple sources telling the folks at NFL.com that Combine doctors took a thorough look at Sweat because of a pre-existing heart condition, not something that was publicly known uh, before his trip to Indianapolis. Hey, Dad, uh, I know you've seen this story and have uh, probably looked at it and maybe dug on it a little bit. Uh, anything more that we know at this point? Uh, well, I checked out uh, Dane Brugler had a good article in The Athletic about it today. He spoke to a couple of, of his sources, and I'll read you what they said. They said that it was considered low risk, and you know he was allowed to compete as opposed to Michigan defensive tackle Maurice Hurst, who was flagged a season ago. He uh, was not allowed to compete at the Combine because of the risk, and then he ended up being uh, a fifth-round draft choice of the Raiders, I believe. He, so he took a precipitous drop because he was a predicted first-round pick. Um this other source says this, this is a quote, it's something to monitor, but it wouldn't stop us from drafting Sweat. Hearst was off our board. Sweat will just probably need regular checkups. So it doesn't sound like it's going to be something that's going to hinder him too much, and it doesn't sound like it's going to be something that's going to drop him way down the draft boards, but it is something that teams will have to monitor and to take into account when they make their selection. Montez Sweat's agent was asked about it. He gave this statement to NFL.com. He said, because of privacy issues, we're not allowed to comment specifically. But I will tell you this, that is not news. Montez is the same person that was medically cleared to play and dominate the SEC, the Senior Bowl, and the NFL Combine. No change in health and no change in domination. So, you know, you certainly hope that it's not anything that's, uh, that's more serious. And if it's not something that... Montez Sweat or his agent or the people that close to him knew about previously, you would think that it would be a relief that, you know, the and, and probably speaks to the level of medical personnel that they've got on staff at the NFL Combine. If this was initially discovered there, that, do we have any indication as to whether or not, hey, Dad, this was something that, that Montez Sweat already knew about or that it was actually discovered at the Combine? I believe it was discovered at the Combine, which, like you were just getting to there, gives you an idea of how thorough the medical process is there because Montez Sweat played for two different major college football programs. He right. played for Michigan State, then he went to Colin, and then he played at Mississippi State, and this never came up, was never brought up, to my knowledge. Now, like his agent says, perhaps it was just a privacy thing, and then they didn't bring that up, but it seems like something that would have, you know, if nothing else, would have made a good – heartwarming story of Rontez Sweat overcomes this disability. But that said, uh, yeah, the fact that they were able to find this, I mean, like I said, it speaks to what they're doing at the NFL Combine. They really are leaving no stone unturned when it comes to these prospects. Yeah, and I guess where I was going with that is uh, if they did just discover this, then I would think that for Montez Sweat and his family, you you would rather know than not know that there is a yeah. potential issue there, especially if you need to continue to monitor it or if there's any sort of medication that can go along uh, that can, can help make sure that you're in good condition. Yeah, from time to time you hear about stories where you know somebody had no idea that something was wrong and then something tragic or drastic happens and you would have loved to have known and uh, seen if you could possibly prevent it. The other thing is, and you pointed this out, the doctors at the NFL Combine, it's not games for them. They're not there to play games and go, ah, oh, you know what, we know you got an issue. But we're gonna... if, if they don't think you're medically fit to perform at the Combine, they will absolutely shut you down. Yeah. And the fact that 
that level of medical personnel didn't shut him down, I would think is certainly a positive sign for Montez Sweat going forward. Yeah, the fact that he played two full seasons and then was allowed to go to the Senior Bowl and then allowed to go to the NFL Combine and was never pulled out of competition at any point, it leads me to believe this is going to be something that with proper you know, medical supervision, he'll be able to manage it. It won't affect his career very much at all. Yeah, so uh, that's some news on the college football front. Um, also, did you, you guys see this? Uh, college Football Talk reporting that LSU is set to uh, approve the contract extension for Ed Ogeron. According to a report from The Advocate, Ogeron set to officially receive a two-year extension with a $4 million contract, so a pretty significant raise. Uh, extends him through 2023, increases the buyout price tag to $10 million this year. Buyout is reduced by $250,000 each year until it drops down to $4 million in 2021. That's great for him. He just better hope that nobody goes asking questions around a particular children's hospital in the area. It's not a children's hospital. It's just a regular Oh, I thought it was a children's hospital. Oh, so just, just a regular hospital there at... Um, in the Baton Rouge area, if if they don't do that, then you know, good for him. He'll coach there for a long time, it looks like. But if they do, things get a little interesting. So half million dollar a year raise, buyout goes up to ten million. Got some security there for Ed Ogeron, and let's be honest, he's done a pretty good job. People didn't think he'd be here at this point. A no. surprisingly good things. job. It, but isn't isn't the thing with this job in LSU? Doesn't his success there kind of tell you that? It wins on its own. Uh no, I I, I don't agree with that. And, and the it reason a- I, well, I was just gonna say the reason I don't agree with that is we've seen LSU in the not too distant past not be competitive. Well, I mean competitive maybe, but not be very good. I mean there there was pretty extended time there before Ed Ogeron came where LSU was just average in football. So it takes the right guys. Now, once you get it to that level, maybe it's a little bit easier yeah, that's, that was going to, be my to kind of maintain a national brand. Was now, back then it wasn't set up the way it is. And it's the same thing with, I think, Alabama moving forward. It's different now after Saban. The program is so much more elevated now than it was, say, 15 years ago. Isn't it the same thing with LSU that – their national profile is different than it was when they were just average. I, I think it would be hard to find a guy that could bring them to average anymore. Yeah, I just I, I don't agree with that. I, I, I think that that is a – I mean, it, it certainly is a common refrain that, that's out there. I just don't agree with it. I think you got to have the right coach in place, and if you don't have the right coaching place, you can see it go south. And you can see it go south pretty quickly. Um, and Ed Orgeron is the right coach? Well, he has been so far, and they're continuing to recruit at a really high level. And we all know, because we've talked about it ad nauseum, you've got to have elite players to have a chance to win at a really high level. And they're recruiting at an elite level. And I think he's put together, I mean, he's got arguably the best defensive coordinator in the country in Dave Aranda, and they kind of settled things down offensively. Now, if Ed loses his mind somewhere along the way and decides to yank play-calling duties away or something along those lines, then it certainly could go south. 
I just I think Ed Ogeron deserves a lot of credit. He has taken the opportunity to lead the LSU program. I got it's my program where I want to coach. We're gonna go get players. We're gonna compete. It's not my best Ed Ogeron at all. Hey, by the way, uh, somebody sent us a message on the C Spire text line and said, just tuned in at the end. I am a medical provider. Piqued my interest. What happened with Sweat? He was, um, they discovered at the NFL Combine that there was some sort of a heart issue, uh, but he was still cleared to participate in the Combine drills, and it's not expected to uh, affect his draft status. It's your college football fix. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll have the link out for you to jump in on the Sports Talk Mississippi Bracket Challenge. It's pretty simple. You just uh, log in and fill out the bracket, and we're going to have a prize package for you. We'll tell you about that as the uh, the week goes along for the winner. would love to uh, have as many of you as are interested to jump in on the Sports Talk Mississippi Bracket Challenge. Duke, the number one overall seed. The other three number one seeds, Virginia, North Carolina, and Gonzaga. Both Mississippi State and Ole Miss in the tournament at the same time for the first time since 2002. Mississippi State and Liberty in the opening round matchup. Mississippi State, um, 23 and 10 this year. Liberty comes in with a record of 28 and 6. They won their conference tournament. Uh, they get the automatic the Atlantic Sun, right? Is it the A Sun? Yes, the A Sun. I think that's right. They play as a Division One independent of football, and I think in the other sports playing the A Sun. Um, get the conference tournament win, and hey, Dad, we were talking earlier about it, a, a team that that shoots some threes uh, that can kind of spread you out. But when you get a twelve seed, you're not talking about a team that just oh they got in and there's no way they were getting in otherwise. I mean, yes, that was going to be a one bid league. But you got a bunch of one-bid league winners that are 13 seeds, 14 seeds, 15 seeds. That's not the case for Liberty. Right, right. I mean, they're, they're a quality team. And and Ben Howland told us about that uh, yesterday when we spoke to him at uh, at the uh, the selections gathering they had on, on the campus. And, you know, he said this is he, – he's got a lot of familiarity with their coach, that they coached together – or coached against each other, I should say, back at Howland's first stop in, in northern Arizona. And he was at – I forget – I think he's at Portland State. Liberty's head coach was there. So he's got some familiarity with him. He said, you know, that they're going to be a dangerous opponent. And I think, you know, Ben Howland is a coach of, of all the coaches in the NCAA tournament. There's so many veteran guys there that he understands that, you know, it's one game at a time, and that's 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 such a cliche. But I do really feel like this state team has done a pretty good job of compartmentalizing every game because you know early in the season they could have let the, the losses get away from them, early in SEC play, I should say, and then you know they were able to just sort of keep grinding, keep grinding to get back over five hundred in the conference. So yeah, I, I think that Liberty's a tough opponent for Mississippi State, but I think it's an opponent that Mississippi State can match up with, with and, and have a chance to win. And look, this is a game that Mississippi State's supposed to win, okay? I mean, they're a 12 seed, they're a good team, they average 74 a game, they outscore their opponents by 14 per game this year. But when you start looking at the schedule that Liberty played this year, here are the teams they lost to. They lost by 9 to Vanderbilt in November. Okay, now, Vanderbilt still had Darius Garland when they played Liberty, but they lost that game. They lost at Georgetown. Georgetown not very good this year. Better, but still not very good in the Big East scheme of things. 
They lost by nine to Alabama. Now, now in fairness, in the Georgetown loss, it was they lost by ten. So they lost by nine to Vanderbilt, by ten to Georgetown, by nine to Alabama. They lost a pretty decent Austin P team by nine. They lost by twenty to Lipscomb. Lipscomb's an eleven seed. Now they're playing in a play-in game, but that's a good basketball team under Rick Bird. And then they lost by five to North Florida. Those are the only five losses, or I'm sorry, the only seven losses this year for Liberty. But when you look at who the losses were to, it's like okay, the 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 better teams that they played on their schedule throughout the course of the year, they lost. They lost to um, Mississippi State is better than Liberty, probably significantly better than Liberty. The one thing that I would point out about those losses, with the exception of, of Belmont that they lost to by 20, they're all single-digit losses. So they were in every game they played this year outside of the Belmont loss. Yeah. And, and the three ball is the reason you can do that. That's the great equalizer. You know, when you, when you don't have, you know, there used to be a, uh, before the spread offense became prevalent in college football, there was the, the thought that the spread offense is the talent equalizer. If you don't have great talent, you can just spread them out, and, and, and you'll be able to, to move the football that way. The three-point shot is that for basketball. If you don't have great talent, but you have you know guys who can shoot the three, you can put yourself in every basketball game. Yeah, uh, and that's not just for that's not just for Liberty. That's all across college basketball. Uh, Liberty shoots thirty-seven percent from behind the arc, thirty-six and a half percent from behind the arc for the year. So we will uh, we'll spend more time kind of looking at that matchup. Uh, I am curious what was uh, you talked about being there with the the team gathering yesterday. What was the reaction? Mississippi State knew that it was in. There was no drama as to whether or not they were in. But you're still waiting to hear your name called and to see your matchup. What was the reaction like? Well, it was so quick. I, you know, I, I sit down to start recording, you know, and start doing a periscope on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed. And it, it's two minutes of video because they was in the first five teams that they put up there on the on the screen. Um, there was applause, and but I, I agree with what you're saying that they knew they were in. It was just a matter of when. So just getting it out of the way was was pretty good. And you know, you talk to the the players after. We talked to Quindary Weatherspoon and Eric Holman, and those guys, you know. They're just at the point in their career where nothing really, nothing really gets them too high or too low, you know. Especially Q, he is the most even keel and, and cool guy as far as his emotions go. So they they both said the same thing: it's time to get to work. It's, you know, they don't, they don't want it to just be about making the tournament. They want to make a, a statement this March. Rippy, you were at the pavilion yesterday. Scooted over there from baseball as soon as that ended for the uh, the announcement for Ole Miss. Pretty decent crowd in there, and the videos. Uh, Ole Miss knew that it was in, but there may not have been quite the same level of certainty that Mississippi State had in knowing that it was in. What was the reaction like? What were the emotions like when that name popped up on the board? They were excited. I think a little bit of relief too. I mean, but I mean, when their name got called, there was obviously a lot of excitement. Um, I think Terrence Davis called it a dream come true. You know, he and Bree and Tyreve never played in a tournament game. Um, and you know, this was, this was Terrence Davis's last ride. He kind of, you know, when Kermit Davis first spoke with the team as a, as a group for the first time, he said, you know, it wasn't going to be a rebuilding year. That wouldn't be fair to Terrence Davis. You know, how much they believed him at the time, I'm not sure, because it probably would have been hard to picture what success looked like given kind of the state of affairs around them currently. But just, I think it was kind of seeing it all come to fruition was exciting for them. What about the matchup? I, I know you've looked a little bit 
at Oklahoma, and we'll spend more time as we go through the week kind of previewing it and getting you set for that on, on Friday. But is this a good draw for Ole Miss? I mean, I mean, obviously you're going to face the number one seed in the second round if you win the opening round game, and so there's not really a great draw against the number one seed. But for an opening round game, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's a good draw. It's an Oklahoma team that's been up and down. They had that you mentioned it earlier in the show, but that five game losing streak that almost derailed their season after yeah. after they got ranked. And it's a team they don't rebound the ball particularly well, and they turn it over a decent bit. And I think those are two areas. One, Ole Miss is not always great inside, not a good rebounding team, so that'll help them. And I think Ole Miss can really make their hay turning them over in the backcourt. You know, interestingly enough, for a team that's not anywhere close to where we are, I did a couple of Oklahoma games on television this year. One, because they were in the tournament in the Bahamas, and then a game in December against Wichita State that they played in Oklahoma City. And I think I walked away from both of those games going, that's a pretty good team. It's not a great team. It seems like a lot of good pieces, and they're not always in sync. Like, they shoot the three-point ball at, what, 34, just over 34%. I mean, pretty decent clip there, but... Um, you know, they averaged. I thought twelve assists as a team per game seemed pretty low. Um, they don't turn teams over too often. They average twelve and a half turnovers a game. So what have they got? Four guys scoring in double figures. Yes, you have James Manick, Doolittle. No, just three. It's just those three. Okay. So uh, Christian James, Brady Manick, and Christian Doolittle all double figure scores, and then. Uh, Calixti is the transfer point guard we were talking about earlier, and the enemy's a freshman that's that's really good, and and has had a couple of moments where he looked really good uh, throughout the season. So, I thought it was a pretty good draw for them overall. Like it doesn't feel like Oklahoma towards the end of the year kind of got. I think they were four and three in their last seven games, but it doesn't feel like a team that's played consistently good basketball in five or six weeks almost. I wonder if there will be a packed house for that game. Oh, that's a good question. I honestly have no idea. Because it's two, like, it's two fan bases that are, like, not close, but not, like, I, mean, I guess Oklahoma, that's pretty far. Ole Miss, sure. what, seven and a half, eight hours for most people in the state. So, yeah, that I don't arena, know. I mean, packing that arena is a difficult task in and of itself. It's a cavern. It's it's kind of like... Uh, it seats 18, or almost 18,000. I was about to say, it's kind of like Bud Walton in that sense, where it's, like, really big. Yeah, it, no, it, it's big. Yeah. It, it's big from a capacity standpoint. Now, my guess is that when Duke plays and when Virginia plays, crowds are going to be big. And you'll have Virginia playing right after the Ole Miss-Oklahoma game. I would bet that as the game starts, it's not terribly crowded, but by the time you get to the end of the game, it'll be pretty darn close to full. Terrence Davis said he's good friends with the rim there. So, little Big J tidbit you won't get elsewhere. There you go. Uh, also, a home game for Devontae Shuler. He's from Irmo, South Carolina, which is basically Columbia. It's kind of a Columbia suburb. So, he'll have a bunch of people there. So, a lot of South Carolina natives playing in that between Zion and. Yeah.
Super Talk Mississippi media production.